So good to see that. And how appropriate, because today we're actually talking about families. Now, how many of you know that families, families are a bit tricky to navigate? Has anyone, by the way, anyone in the room ever experienced any difficulty when it comes to family members? Just anyone? Is it just me? Okay, great. Absolutely, right? I mean, these are relationships, whether it's your mother or your father or your brother or your sister or your kids or your uncle, these are relationships that are often just complicated and you can't help but sometimes in these relationships feel like you like need to walk on eggshells and everyone's sensitive and you're feeling misunderstood and you think you're doing all the right things, but it's not being received so well and you just want to pull your hair out. I mean, these are the relationships that can often, if we're honest, hurt us the most because these are the voices we value the most. In fact, some of you have been so hurt by the voices of your family that now you have decided you don't value their voices, right? Because there's deep pain. But then on the flip side, man, how many of you know that family can be a blessing? Has anyone experienced a blessing of family? Can I see by a show of hands? That's the thing, when it's good, it's so good. Like some of our best memories and experiences in life come from these family relationships. And so that's the thing about family. When it's bad, it's bad. But when it's good, oh, it's so good. But often we, we struggle because like we're not all on the same page. And I don't know if you know this, but not everyone in your family thinks like you do. I'm sure you've experienced it by now. And so it's, it's weird, it's hard because you don't know like how committed are people and what are they thinking and what are they believing? I heard of this couple that flew to Japan in 2019 to go watch the, the Rugby World Cup final. Big Springbok supporters, didn't want to miss the final game. Flew there, got great tickets right near the front, right by the field. And uh, the place was packed. I don't know if you know, in 2019, it was like record attendance for the Rugby World Cup. So they get there, place is packed, right? And they happened to sit next to an empty seat and an older gentleman. And they thought, it's so weird. There's an empty seat here, like so close to the field. And like, this place is packed. There's hardly an empty seat in sight. Why is the seat empty? So at halftime, they lean over to the gentleman and they said to him, hey, so do you know whose seat this is? Like, it's kind of weird that the seat is empty. And the gentleman, he answers and said, this, uh, this was my wife's seat, but she passed away. And so they were like, man, that, that's terrible. So like, couldn't you, couldn't you find someone to at least come with you all the way here to Japan? Like, couldn't you find someone at least to like a friend or a family member? And then he said, no, they wouldn't come. They, they were all at the funeral. And that pretty much sums up family, right? It's like, you just don't know how in someone is. Like, are we on the same page? Are you as committed as me? Do we have the same values? Do we share the same beliefs? Clearly that guy had a different set of beliefs and values like to what you would expect. And so what I hope to do today and what I think Paul is wanting to do in this text in Colossians is just help us get a little bit on the same page. In fact, he's gonna give very simple instructions to the wife and the husband and the children and the parents. It's just very simple instructions in the hope that we can at least get the basics right. He, I love how practical he gets here. In fact, 
uh, up till now in the book of Colossians that we've been studying, Paul's been very, uh, talking about a lot of theology, and he's been doing a lot of teaching, and this is a part in Colossians that shifts to the practical stuff, and I, I love the practical stuff, like, tell me what to do, right, and, and so this is a part of Colossians where Paul starts telling people, okay, this is what you should do, now that you know all of these things, now that you know you're a new creation, and you have new clothes, and God has like redeemed you, and your sins are forgiven, like now that you know about the cross, now that you know all of this, now live like this, so this second part of Colossians is all about like, okay, now do this, that you know that, and so it seems like the sentiment is that Paul is talking about here, he's like, guys, you're new, which means you can't live like you're old. So when you're new, you become a new husband, and you become a new wife, and a new child. When you become new in Christ, those roles also become new, which means when you become new in Christ, you get a new family, and you operate differently. You don't live as if you're still old because that part of you died, you're now new. And so Paul's whole idea is when you become saved, the way you do family changes because you're new. So we don't still operate as if we were old, right? And then he gets very practical, tells us exactly what we should do, doesn't sugarcoat it, doesn't hide it in fancy language, just Simple instructions, and, and you guys, we've taught on family in this church many, many times. There's a lot of stuff today you've probably heard before, but I love that Paul's like, if we had to water it down just to the very basics, like just one thing, this is it. And I believe we can all do one thing, right? Just one thing. We can at least do one. Look at someone and say, you can at least do one. Okay, so in your role in your family today, you're going to get one thing, and I believe if we can just do one, our families will be better for it. And so Paul starts with the wives. Oh, man, there's a lot of men smiling. Can all the wives say, hello? Wives, this is for you, right? Um... Men, this is for your wives. It's not for you, so you're welcome to go on Facebook or something now. <laughs> this is what it says in Colossians 3, verse 18. It says, wives. Now, before I read that word. <laughs> um, this, this is the Bible. Okay, the Bible saying this. You don't just like throw stones at me. Okay. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. All the men are like, yeah. All the women are like, really, Ryan? Really, Ryan? And I think because no word has been like more abused maybe in marriage than this word submit. No word has been more misunderstood. No word, by the way, has been used by more lazy husbands who sit on the couch and think it means I can sit here while you fetch me a beer. Right? Which is not what it means. And so what does it mean? Well, this word submit is this Greek word, hupotasso. Everyone say hupotasso. And this is what it literally means. It means to get in order under, to come into order voluntarily. To come into order voluntarily. It's about shifting your heart voluntarily, not forcefully, but I'm voluntarily shifting my heart Underneath someone else's heart, I'm bringing it into order. That's what scripture is talking about here. 
bringing your heart into order, voluntarily giving up your rights. Now you have rights. Wives, you have rights. It's about voluntarily giving them up. Why? For the sake of the relationship. So that the relationship can function. It's for functionality. For the sake of the relationship, I put my rights aside. I give them up and I force my heart underneath my husband's heart. Now, the Bible does not say anyway, wives, obey your husbands. And it's not scared of that word obey. It's going to use it twice in this text. It's going to tell children to obey their parents. It's going to tell bond servants to obey their masters. It's not scared of the word obey. So, so if it wanted to say wives, obey your husbands, it would say that it says instead, submit. Submission and obedience is not the same thing. Husbands, this is not some army force. If you're looking when you come home for your wife to salute you and say, what would you like, sir? Well, good luck to you, because that's not in the Bible, right? That's not what it's talking about at all. This is hupotasso. And it's all about the state of your heart. In other words, let's like get it really simple. What's submission? It's keeping your heart for your husband. Keeping it for him, even when he does crazy things, even when he makes decisions you just disagree with, even when you are struggling to like him, you're keeping your heart for him. You're his cheerleader, you're in his corner, you've got his back, your heart just doesn't turn against him. Submission is this commitment, my heart will not turn against my husband. And guys, as someone who has counseled possibly hundreds of couples in my almost 20 years of ministry, I'll tell you this. A massive warning sign when a couple is sitting in front of me is when I can see the heart of the wife has turned against her husband. That marriage is doomed to fail unless God heals. And I've seen that happen many times too. But it's a massive warning flag when the heart of a wife has turned against when she's no longer in his corner, his cheerleader. The marriage is in trouble. Submit means no matter what we go through, my heart's going to follow yours. I'm voluntarily giving up my rights and I'm pushing my heart. My heart will follow you. Now, a great example of this is actually Jesus Christ. Jesus modeled for us what submission looks like. Let's look at this together in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. It says, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And most of us are like, that's awesome. That's great. And the head of the woman is man. And then we're like, oh, that's not great, right? And the head of Christ is God. Okay, so Scripture's giving us an order of authority. Many of you have seen this diagram before, but we know that at the top is God in our household. Then next is who? The husband. And then next is, come on, you've seen that diagram? Husband, then wife, and then who's at the bottom of the list? You don't seem sure. It's on the screen. Okay. Who's at the bottom of the list? Guys, guys, you, who's at the bottom of the list? Okay, some of you came to church just for this one point today. Children are at the bottom. We do not bring them further up. Your kids should know, hey, mom and dad, we love each other more than we love you. We're committed to each other more than we're committed to you. That provides incredible security for a family, for children, right? Like it's, it's, some of you have put more love and attention and passion into your children. You've moved them up the list. Get your house in order. 
God, husband, wife, children at the bottom. Got it. Now, why does this exist? Well, it's because of what Paul's been talking about. You're new. And one of the things that changes your salvation when your identity changed is you now became part of a kingdom. We're no longer actually members of South Africa. Spiritually, we are members of God's kingdom. And kingdoms work differently. Kingdoms always have levels of authority. Always. We see this right from the throne room all the way to every part of God's kingdom. It's within the Trinity itself. God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it flows all the way down to every part of God's kingdom. He has these levels of authority in government and in church leadership and even in our homes. He's decided by his wisdom for functionality that the thing that's going to change is the level of authority. Now, this has nothing to do with your level of value. It has nothing to do with who's smarter and who's better and who's more experienced. I'll tell you, many of you husbands married wives much smarter than you. And you know it. Yeah, some of the wives are like, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. This is not about your value. This is only about one thing because we're in kingdom. It's about the levels of authority. For the kingdom to function, there must be levels of authority. And God, and in his wisdom, has decided it would be the husband. So let's continue to look at 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. Let's go back there. It says at the end that the head of Christ is God. The head of Jesus Christ says, is God. Let me ask you this question. Is Jesus Christ in any way inferior to God the Father? No. Absolutely. I think to believe that would be heresy, actually. We, we believe in a triune God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is is God. They're not inferior to each other. And yet we see for the sake of functionality, Jesus gives up his rights. He pushes, he has the right, but he pushes his right aside for the sake of the kingdom. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 and 7, it shows us that Jesus being the very nature God did not consider equality with God. Everyone say equality. Equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing but taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. This is submission where we don't, even though we are equal, we don't consider our equality as something to cling to because you decided to get married. You are laying that down and you're saying, when it comes to authority, I will always push my heart underneath your heart and never turn my heart against you. Just like Jesus did. He, go, he has a beautiful picture of submission. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if there's any way to remove this cup. And he answers, says, but not my will. Yours be done. Submission. And wives, I want to say, this is an incredibly hard thing to do. And you actually can't do it without the help of God. And I think that's the point. Is that the very command given to wives should push you closer to God should push you right into intimacy with God to say, God, there's going to be times where I have to push my will aside and say, okay, not my will, but yours to my husband. I'm pushing it aside. I'm laying aside my rights. And that's incredibly hard. And God, I, I need you. 
I need you, and Paul clarifies, he says in verse 18, why submit to your husbands as is fitting to those who belong to the Lord. Everyone say, as is fitting. Right, and so this is kind of the boundaries. You only obey while it's fitting to those who belong to the Lord. So this is where obedience will end, even though submission will continue. Because obedience is not, a submission is not obedience. It's about the state of your heart. So ladies, even when you need to disobey your husbands, your heart stays for them. In other words, there's going to be times you should disobey because it's not fitting as someone who belongs to the Lord. If your husband forbids you to go to church, do you listen to him? No. If your husband forbids you to open a Bible, do you listen to him? If your husband forgives you to see those people, we're cutting them out of our lives. You'll have nothing to do with them. Do you listen to them? Him. Oh, now I'll go quiet. No. We're all about forgiveness and love. We have the ministry of reconciliation. So there are times where your husband is going to push up against the word of God and God will always win. In other words, just to sum it up, you obey God and submit to your husband. So even when you have to disobey him, your heart is still with him. Honey, I love you. Don't agree with you, but would you like some coffee before I go to church? Right? I'm still your cheerleader. I think you're making a dumb decision. But, but hey, I love you. And I'm for you. My heart will not turn against you, even though I completely disagree with you. I'm in. You got me, babes. Right? Submission. Submission. In fact, guys, this is actually how Scripture expects us to act to government. And I do want to talk about this because I think it's pretty relevant, especially today. We're called to submit to our government. In other words, we keep our hearts for people in leadership. We pray for them. But we don't obey when it hits against God's word. In fact, in Acts 5, we see that exact thing play out. They outlawed the preaching of the gospels. They told the disciples they weren't allowed to do that. They made that law. And what did they say? In Acts 5, they said, well, we must obey God rather than men. Right? Hey, we still love you guys. We're going to pray for you. Still going to support our leadership, but we're not obeying you. As a church, we even took that position in COVID at some point. When they kept limiting gatherings, we were like, well, you know, we love you guys. We see what, what you're about, but we have to gather. That, that's a biblical command. We're, we're not going to forsake that anymore, right? So there's times where you have to disobey, but you still submit because submission's not obedience. And can I say one last thing to the wives, and then I'm done picking on you? <laughs> Please help out your man. In other words, you've just got to allow him to lead. Some of you need to just hand over the reins a little bit. Right? You've got to hand over the reins of your leadership. Because there's a lot of wives, there's a lot of strong women. Some of you are just, you're smarter, you've got more natural leadership abilities, and you're like, my husband would be a great leader if he just listened to me. Uh... Do you see the problem? You're like, I, you want your husband to be a leader, you just don't want to be his follower. Well, then there's an issue of headship. And the marriage can't function. It can't function. Submission is brought in so that the marriage can function. So wives, submit. Keep your heart for your husband. Guard it at all times. Do not let your heart turn against him. And if it already has Pray for it to turn back. 
the marriage will not last. Okay, Paul goes on to, uh, let, me, let me say this one thing for those of you who find like, just quick. <laughs> if you're like, I'm struggling to follow him because I am smarter than him. And I've got more experience with him and I make better decisions. And maybe you think your husband is dumber than you. Well, you chose him. Just want to clarify, out of all the men in the world, this is the one you stood in front of God and said, God, I will submit to him. Right? If you chose a dumb one, still submit. It's your choice. Just your choice, okay? Don't blame God now. You knew what you were getting. Just had to say that. Okay, now husbands. Husbands, Paul speaks to you in verse 19 and he says this. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be bitter towards them. Husbands, love. Husbands, you are commanded to love. You are not commanded to rule. You are not commanded to control. You are not commanded to subdue. You are not commanded to order. You are commanded to love. Love. And so, yes, on one hand, you have authority because we see wives need to submit to you, but in the other side, you need affection. In fact, the biblical role of a husband means that there needs to be a perfect balance between affection and authority. You have to be a leader and a lover. And if you are just a leader and you're not a lover, you end up being a tyrant. And if you're just a lover and you're not a leader, then you're just a big teddy bear. Neither of those two things is what the biblical definition of a husband requires. What it requires of you is affection and authority, leading and loving. You are called to do both. Both. In fact, this uh, word husband, I don't know if you know this, but the original word is actually a farming term. And it means, to, it means one who cultivates. That's what the word husband means. One who cultivates a soil. The idea is that we're cultivating this, our families, we're growing them in the soil of love. We're tending to them, we're caring for them, we're helping them grow. That is our job. We're making decisions to benefit them. You know, a happy man is someone who marries a girl he loves, but a happier man is someone who loves a girl he married. And that is a decision that you make, that I will love you. Oh, all the ladies are like, oh, right? <laughs> But that's a commitment. We're saying, I'm going to love the woman I married because I'm commanded to. And let's look at this word love that Bible says when it says husbands love here in Colossians because it's a big word. Some of you are familiar with this word. In the original language, it's this word agape. Everyone say agape. Guys, this is the highest form of love. It's the deepest measure of love. And it's super difficult because here's what it means. It means I don't love you based on your performance. I don't love you as a reward for good behavior. I don't love you because I feel like you're loving me. No, no, no. It's actually a love completely cut off from condition or behavior, which means I'm deciding to love you, my wife, no matter what you do and no matter who you become. I love you no matter what you do, completely not performance-based. 
I'm loving you not because of you. I'm loving you as a response to the command to love you. It is a decision. I love you. And a lot of people get into marriage and they're not loving forever. They're loving for right now. And right now it feels good, so I'll love you. But if it doesn't, right now you feel like my friend. Right now you're making me happy. Right now the sex is good. Right now you're pleasing me, so I will love you. But the moment that stops, woo! I'm going to reevaluate. The moment someone comes who maybe can please me more than you, the moment you get ugly or I get ugly, we're going to reevaluate this. And Jesus, God is like, no, no, no. You love her till your heart stops. You love her every single day you're alive on earth. You love her without condition, not based on performance, not because she's a good wife, not because she's ticking your boxes. Ah, uh-uh. It has nothing to do with her performance. It's an unconditional kind of love. In other words, you make a decision. <clears throat> you make a decision to be in love with her. I'm choosing to love you. Right? Even though you're impossible. I'm choosing to love you even though you're moody. I'm choosing to love you even though you've disappointed me. I'm choosing. It's the decision to love you. It's not based on your behavior. Turns out biblical love, guys, is not goosebumps and a hot flush, and a shot of adrenaline. I mean, you can get that from a good Sears burger, okay? You don't get that <laughs> from marriage. That's not, that's not what God's called us for. And let me just say this, men. Just like wives of submission, in fact, it is impossible for you to love like this. This kind of love is non-human, and it's supernatural. <laughs> God is asking you to love your wife like he loves your wife. And, and that's a pretty big shoe to fill because he is love. He's asking you to show your wife how he loves her. And you can't. It's actually, this is non-human. Humans can't love in agape. The only way we can is with God's help. And again, the very command to the husband should push us into relationship, deeper into relationship, because every day we should be on our knees saying, God, help me love this woman. Right, God, I cannot do it on my own. God, she is driving me mad. Help me love her. Like, every, the, God wants the command of a husband to push us into intimacy with him. It's impossible to do this without him. And then Paul clarifies at the end when he says, husbands, love your wives. And he adds this ending, and do not be bitter towards them. Some of your translations say, don't be harsh towards them. Husbands, I want to say when you are harsh to your wives, it is an incredibly painful thing for them and you have to be careful of it. You know, the Bible talks about a root of bitterness that can grow in our hearts. And if we're not careful, that root of bitterness can grow in our hearts towards our wives. There will be issues in your marriage. If you haven't discovered that already, let me tell you, it's guaranteed. There will be issues in your marriage. And men, a lot of times we don't deal with the stuff we're feeling. We don't like to talk to people. So we hold it inside and we're like, oh, I'm done. I'm, I'm over it. But we think about it every day. You're not over it then. If you haven't forgiven her, go talk to someone or forgive her. But if you hold on to that offense and then it just over the years keeps building up, eventually you can't help it be harsh and bitter towards her. Right, And you act out on that all the time, and that bitterness will kill your marriage. That's what Paul clarifies. You've got to love her and do not be bitter. Do not allow the root of bitterness. Forgive quickly. Because if you don't, your marriage is in trouble. And some of you husbands, that's what your next step is. 
Some of you husbands need to forgive your wives. Truly forgive them. Let go of the pain and the offense. Do not call her honey and then treat her like vinegar. Right? In fact, your love has to go so deep it has to represent Christ. It tells us that in Ephesians 5 that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself up for her. Sure. So let's look at how Jesus loves the church. That's our example. Jesus loves the church sacrificially. He loves the church unconditionally. And he loves the church even when the church doesn't love him back. Even when he's not getting love in return, his love does not run out. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then Paul turns his attention to the children. And he says this in verse 20. Children, always. Everyone say always. Always. Always obey your parents. For this pleases the Lord. I decided as I was preparing the sermon, I'm going to blow that up on the biggest poster paper I can find and put that in my kitchen, right? Be like, go to your room. Go to your room, right? Like, you got to obey me. It pleases the Lord. No. What does scripture mean here? What is he saying? Because you might be quite surprised to find out the word that Paul uses here for the children does not just refer to small kids. The word Paul uses here is the word techna. Everyone say techna. And this means children of any age that are under the roof of their parents. Now, he could have used the word pedia. Pedia would have meant, when he said children, it would have meant children of a young age under the roof of the parents. But instead, he says techna, which means all of you guys who are still living with your parents, this command applies to you. Children, always obey your parents as pleases the Lord. I can see some of you are planning on moving out now. Actually, the, as you look through Scripture, you'll see the attitude is far more than just obeying. It's actually honoring. That's the fifth command. Honor your parents. Ephesians 5 clarifies that it's the first command with a promise. Do it so that you may live a long time. That's how much it pleases God. He, he promises more days on earth for you. And so let's look at what it means to obey. Children obey. When the word submit was hupotasso, the word obey is hupokoyo. Everyone say hupokoyo. And it's these two words put together, but basically means to listen under. So when you're under the roof, you have to listen. To listen while you're under authority. You've got to listen to what they say. And how many times, come on, as we're growing up, isn't this what our parents say all the time? You're not listening to me. You're not listening. Right? How many times, parents, have you said that before to your kids? Right? So it's built in us. It's a need. We need to be listened to. It's biblical. So all of you, all of you people who are living at home with your parents, obey your parents. It pleases the Lord. And you might be thinking, but like, I'm 18. Yeah. I'm 46. I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> And listen, that's fine. It's honestly fine, right? We're not trying to shame anyone. We're just trying to say this verse still applies to you. And you might be thinking like, 
Well, why should I listen to my parents? I'm an adult in my own right. Well, I want to give you three reasons why you should still listen to your parents. Are you ready? Number one, because you are expensive. <laughs> Thank you. According to my way, I looked on, online this week. The amount it costs a parent to get a child from infancy to 18 is between one to three million rand. You're expensive. So if you don't want to listen to your parents, at least pay the money back. Okay, is that, a, is that a deal? Second reason you should still listen to your parents, and the much more important reason, is because it pleases the Lord. Right, Colossians says that it is the right thing to do. Ephesians 5 says it pleases God. Why is it right? Because it pleases the Lord. And I still find it amazing that there's things I can do in my life that just brings a smile to the heart of God. Right, I want to bless his heart. He's blessed me so much. I want to bless him. You can bless your, the heart of your good father, Every time you obey your parents, obey them, pleases him. Third reason why you should still obey your parents is because it actually affects your entire life. This stuff is foundational, guys. You have to realize that if you are living in rebellion, it will affect every part of your life. If you are practicing rebellion daily with your parents, it will spill into your work life and you will struggle to obey your boss. And how many of you know if you have a boss, sometimes you've just got to obey it. You've got to learn that in your house. How many of you know sometimes if you're sitting in the classroom or a lecture hall, you've just got to obey. This verse is also speaking to the parents and saying, parents, teach your kids obedience because they need it to function in the world. Otherwise, they're going to leave your homes and they don't know what obedience is and they will not be functioning adults because there are many things in this world where we just have to obey. When you're speaking to that police officer, when you're speaking to that person responsible for your promotion, when you're speaking to the person who's going to pass that exam, you need to just obey. And we learn that in the home. So as an adult now, don't go practice rebellion because you're going to walk out of your house and go practice it in your workplace and you won't be there for very long. And you'll blame the world. But really, just obey your parents. It's your training ground. It's your training ground for how to function in the world around you. So wives, submit. Husbands, love. Children, obey. And then he gives his final remarks to parents in verse 21. He says, fathers, in Colossians 3.21. Now, that word fathers is actually the Greek word pateras, which could be translated parents. So I'm going to say parents. Parents, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Don't aggravate them. Paul's saying it in the negative. I want to say it in the positive so we know what to do, not just not what not to do. Parents, what should you do? Encourage your children. Encourage your children. Everyone say parents encourage parents encourage of all the jobs in the world I don't think there is a more important job than raising another human being I think it's a holy thing to do and out of all the jobs I don't think there's a harder job than raising another human being someone said it like this raising kids is like pushing an old car in first gear with the emergency brake jammed on and a sumo wrestling team inside all the way from Johannesburg to Cape Town and back again. <laughs> it pretty much kind of sums it up, right? It's a hard job. And, and the, the worst part is by the time you experience and you graded it, you were out of a job. But just as you get a hang of it, they're gone. 
Like they're out of the house, right? So it's just crazy. And so I think that's what makes it hard as parents is that we often beat ourselves up. And we started thinking, you know, I have a, I have a daughter that's 19 now and you're still looking and kind of like evaluating your, parent, your parenting and like, did I do enough? Did I say enough? Did I teach enough? Did I encourage enough? Did I like love enough? Did I, I don't know, did I pay attention to the right things? Did I make too big a deal of the things I shouldn't have made a big deal of? Did I ignore the things I should have made a big deal of? Did, did they eat enough vegetables? Like, and the answer to that is like probably always going to be no, right? So I want to just say, because I know what parent regret is. Guys, no one gets a perfect score. No one gets 10 out of 10 on the parent test. No one. And I don't think you're meant to. Because you know where you have lack? That gives you the opportunity for God to step into your child's life and reveal himself to them and say, hey, your parents might have not have given you this, but I can give you this. You're not meant to be God to your parents. They need to see their need for Jesus, and sometimes they'll see their need for Jesus and your inadequacy, isn't that beautiful? That God can even use that and redeem that to his advantage so that they can see their great need for God because you didn't do the perfect job. So it's okay. I try to remind my, parent, my kids of this all the time. I'm not their perfect dad. They'll sometimes come and ask me for things that I can't afford and I say, ask your perfect dad because I don't have the money for that, right? Sometimes they ask me for advice or they have problems I can't fix or they need healing or they having an issue with someone I'll just be like tell your perfect dad about that I have no control of that I want to let's talk to him together when I'm putting my kids to bed I'll, I'll often say especially to my younger kids as they're growing up I'll be like man I love you so much but you know that God loves you more and I don't get it because I feel like I love you as much as anyone can love you but he out loves me like he they've got to know that for all your lack there is someone who can fill that gap and it's not you and it's okay. So let go of that guilt. All you did was give God lots of room to work in their lives. Amen? So let's look now at what we can do. For those of you who are young parents and you still have kids in your home, how can you encourage them? And I know you might have dreams for your, your kids and you might have a vision for them and got a vision for this and a vision for that. What I first want to say is your vision doesn't really mean anything. Because the only vision that matters for your kid is God's vision for their life. And I can tell you right now what it is. I can tell you exactly what God wants for your kid. And it's this, for your child to be a fully formed disciple of Jesus Christ. Like that is God's number one concern. Not what they study and where they live, but whether or not they become passionately in love followers of Jesus. Now, you can't guarantee that that will happen no matter what you do. But you can do things that guarantee almost that it won't happen. And that's by being completely uninvolved in your child's spirituality and hoping that one day as they're sitting somewhere that a Bible will just fall out of heaven and land on their lap and open to the right page and the angels will sing and the verses will be highlighted and they'll be like, Jesus, I believe. Um, if you're waiting for that, You'll die waiting. That isn't going to happen. The responsibility to teach and disciple your children is on you. And as great a job as we try to do as a church, it's not on us. It's on you as a parent. We have to own our children's responsibility. And we have to make sure we are not provoking them to anger. So because Paul was giving this as a warning, I want to give you five things that I believe provoke children to anger. 
Number one, hypocrisy. Everyone say hypocrisy. And I'm mentioning this because I'm talking to Christian parents. And we're famous for this. Saying one thing in public, acting one way in church, and then going home and completely discarding what you said, living a totally different way. Nothing will put a distaste in your child's mouth for church and the faith more than hypocrisy. When they just completely don't see it lived out, even though you're like you're acting in public, like that is who you are, but then behind the scenes, that is not. Children have a complete distaste for that and it completely discourages them. You'll put them off the faith. I've seen it again and again and again and again. Be careful of hypocrisy. Rather don't act. Rather just be in public who you are to them in private. Hypocrisy number two, thing that discourages them is inconsistency. When you act one way towards them one day and another the next day, now I'm not talking about just being in a bad mood. I'm talking about in your discipline, right? Where you have like this big reaction because they knock over a coffee cup. And then the next day they do something really bad and you're like, oh, don't worry about it. Right? And they just don't know what the rules are. And they don't know where the goalposts are. And they don't know how to like stay in the good books. It drives children mad. It discourages them. Watch out for inconsistency. Number three, criticism. Parents, you've got to see that your words carry massive amounts of weight when it comes to your children. And your words can break them. Some of you right now can think at the drop of a hat about words of criticism that your father or your mother said to you. It still is a heavy weight to you. Many years later, do not do that to your children. Watch out for criticism. I've seen that for every one criticism, you need like several like compliments and encouragements to try and undo that. And so be careful. Scripture says, parents, encourage, don't criticize. Number four, favoritism. Ask Joseph's brothers about favoritism. They'll tell you how that went. Ask Esau about favoritism. He'll tell you how that went. The Bible is full of examples and warnings against favoritism. And I wish this wasn't common, but it's very common in families. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone sitting in my office in tears as an adult because they felt so compared and they felt so minimized in compa comparison to their brothers or sisters while they're growing up. They, they just knew their parents loved them more and had a different set of rules for them. Don't do it. It completely breaks a child. Favoritism is not at all what we're called to be as Christians. Saying things like, I wish you'd be more like your brother. I wish you'd do more like your sister. Just cut out those words. Do not say that as a parent. And number five, overcommitment. Everyone say overcommitment. You know, children will feel discouraged if they feel they always have to fight for your attention. Like you're always busy with something else. They're not a priority. And actually preparing this, I felt super convicted. Because I'll tell you, the last month of my life has been absolutely bonkers crazy. And I've been busy from morning to night. And I just thought, oh man, I just dropped the ball again. And I have not given the attention and the time to my family that I know I should, and it's so, it happens so slowly and subtly, and it's just this deadline, and it's just a season, and then you look back, and oh, I've already been in the season for a month. It's not good, right? And, and it's, we cannot afford, parents, we cannot afford to live in that kind of busyness. Make sure your children are not competing every day just for a little sliver of your attention. Be careful of overcommitment. Yes, it's good to provide for them, but you also, you know what? You need to provide your time and your thoughts and your care 
and your affection to your children, your, your play, your fun, you need to provide those things to them as well. I love that as parents, we can take our children to heaven with us. We can do the best that we can to make sure they get there with us. I want to be in heaven with all my kids. We're going to make heaven a bit fuller, right? <laughs> and I know I can't guarantee it. I know they've got free will. But, but I, want, I pray that your heart and your vision and your dream for your children's lives echoes and mirrors God's vision for them to be disciples of Jesus. And so here is Paul's encouragement. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Children, obey. Parents, encourage. And as we do just that, you can do one thing, right? If we just do that, I believe our families would be the better for it. They would be strengthened. And guys, families, we know it's under attack in our society. So many families are falling apart. That is not what God wants for your life. So submit and love and obey and encourage. In fact, can I ask you to stand to your feet wherever you are? I want to ask that if you have family in the room, uh, would you walk to them and hold their hands, please? just pray over families today and I know many of you don't have family here you're just representing your family that's that's good too but uh, I know this is close to the heart of God so let's pray together Lord you know every family that's here every single family that's represented and God I pray your blessing over these families God I pray that you would help us just do our part well God, I pray for the wives. Would you help them submit as unto the Lord? God, I pray for the husbands. Would you increase their capacity to love in spite of behavior, to love at all times, to not grow bitter? God, I pray for these children. Would you help them, Lord, increase their obedience? May they honor the parents. God, I pray for us parents. May we be encouraging to our children and not break them down and not rock from them. And in the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing. God, may you strengthen every single family. God, your design for family is beautiful. The way you've planned it is so magnificent. God, when it works, it works so well. When it's good, it is so good. But I pray for every family that's bad, for every marriage that's struggling. In Jesus' name, I speak healing. In Jesus' name, I speak forgiveness. In Jesus' name, I speak restoration, reconciliation. I come against those root of bitterness. We, we pull them out spiritually right now. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray, God, for hearts that have turned against each other. Would you turn them towards each other? Father, we submit these marriages and families to you. And I pray that in your house, in your kingdom, your marriages would be strong and withstand the storms that come. And I pray that now. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen.